Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast where we are ranking every single horror movie ever made from best to worst. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's going pretty good. Um, I am living in that space where I spend a lot of my time with children. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I know a whole lot about Among Us. And I'm kind of wrestling with that. <laughs> Man, Among Us, I just think of the fact that uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez like did a, a charity stream of herself playing Among Us with people. It looks... My understanding of it is that it's like sort of small evil Teletubbies that want to betray each other. So it's enraging because it's an incredible game. It is a game where you're a little tiny astronaut without arms and you're on a space station and you're rushing to do little mundane tasks and it's Mm -hmm. all touchscreen based so it's literally stuff like you have to swipe your id to get into the lab Mm -hmm. but if you swipe your finger too fast it doesn't work and if you swipe your finger too slow it doesn't work so you literally have to just do it at the exact right way uh meanwhile there is an imposter among everyone ah. who's sneaking around killing all the other players so you have to <laughs> swipe a credit card at just the right speed so that you can go through a door and not be uh, all alone and murdered <laughs> that sounds but, amazing uh the thing that fucking sucks is i've been playing it um just with people on the internet and it is awful yeah, it seems like one of those games that if you're playing it with with total ass strangers, like that's way less fun than if it's just like you and your buds playing this. And you can play with a private server, and I think we need to get some organized play done. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing is just the I have profanity filters off because I'm all on because I'm also 97, so like <laughs> no one can say the f word to me. It just shows up as asterisks. But uh, that still doesn't stop people from posting their Snapchat IDs and asking me, because I choose uh, purple as my player character, are Mm. you a girl? Uh, Will you add me on Snapchat? (laughs) I'm a boy. Are you a girl? Who is a girl? Who wants to add me on Snapchat? I'm really bored. Yeah, and they're just like trying to find you on Snapchat. Like, I sent you you my small, suspicious-looking Teletubby. Please respond. (laughs) This is not... For Rank and Vile, we absolutely need to, at some point, do, like, a Twitch stream of us playing Among Us with people. Like, we can, like, I don't know. Like That, oh, that, that sounds would like... be amazing. I'd be very down with that. We could also do a Twitch of just Animal Crossing. <laughs> just chill vibes only. It's just, yeah, it's just us playing Animal Crossing. Honestly, um, so the thing that I've been uh, unrelatedly uh, buried in for the last couple of days is on Netflix, there is a show called Tiny Pretty Things. Um <sighs> Oh, are you very familiar with this? Is it about tiny, pretty things? I haven't seen it. (laughs) You sold me on title alone. I mean, kind of. Uh, It's uh, about, um, so it's adapted from a book, and it's about, uh, it's sort of like um, Suspiria for Kids, where it's (laughs) about this um, elite ballet academy in Chicago, and there's like, you know, young kids, or like not young kids, they're they're like teenagers, um, and they're all played by actors who are like 30. But, you know, there's, like, secrets and death and intrigue and, and all manner of stuff. And I've realized that, like, ballet is basically body horror to me. Oh, yeah. Like, it's horrifying. Like, the, the toes? Yeah. <laughs> Google oh. ballet dancer toes. Oh, there's, listen, there's a lot of uh, pretty tasty gore on this show of just, like, people, like, peeling their toenails off. And um, 
it's you know you watch the human form do those things and it's like it's like when you look at a pug and you're like we did that to you like you you were not supposed to evolve this respiratory system and this is against (laughs) the will of god Uh, so before we get into our movie i wanted to uh point out that we have uh, a bunch of new stuff up on our Patreon for, um, so for $2 on our Patreon, you get our show notes for $5, you get our bonus episodes. Um, we just did one for Santa with Muscles. It And this is probably coming out around the holiday season. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely coming out before the epiphany, so you might yeah. want to watch the worst Christmas movie, or listen to us so you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Listen to us talk about this this fucking Hulk Hogan holiday vehicle, which, by the way, was funded by uh, Jordan Belfort, um, the the literal ass wolf of Wall Street, who definitely used it as a tax shelter. Um, so yeah, go go check out our Patreon if if you haven't already. Um, let's all right. Let's jump into the movie we're doing for this week. We okay. So our movie this week is The Hills Have Eyes remake, the The Hills Have Eyes remake from 2006. Directed by Alexandra Aha. Right, the guy who did High Tension. Uh, he's done a bunch of other movies, right? I think, but I cannot tell you anything besides High Tension and, and this. Yeah, and I think he got the job uh, for The Hills Have Eyes because, like, so much of... Now, and I know that, Quincy, as uh, on, a, on a previous episode when we did High Tension, you are not a fan of the movie High Tension. I'm also not a fan of the Hills Have Eyes remake, which we will talk about. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so Alexander Aha has made actually quite a few uh, movies. Um, he's been very prolific, but for yeah. some reason I cannot remember anything except for this one. Yeah, and this movie, I feel like I, there are so many things I like about this movie, but well, yeah, let's... All right, so... Um, this movie, obviously, is a remake of the original The Hills Have Eyes, uh, directed by uh, Wes Craven, who apparently executive produced this one. But as we know, executive producer doesn't actually like mean anything necessarily. So um, we haven't ranked the original. Yeah, we haven't. Oh, that's right. We're doing this before we do the original. So at least, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a stay tuned for sure, because also the original okay. is pretty great. So, I've been reading John Kenneth Muir, and one thing he talks about about horror film remakes is how it's a really um, damned if you do, damned if you don't space for filmmakers, Mm -hmm. because critics historically don't uh, respect remakes because... That it seems like Hollywood uh, chicanery. It's very right. much bereft of originality. It's just a quick uh, cash grab. Mm-hmm. Um, and for fans, you either run the risk of you know introducing a new generation to uh, a product, a franchise, or IP, but alienating the old, or mm-hmm. failing to grab the new and failing to grab the old, or failing to only <clears throat> grab the old. So it's really. Right tough the other thing that muir talks about is how this is buck wild he says um that in the recent years uh society is more tolerant so horror subtext doesn't work as well Mm -hmm. uh his case in point is the queer subtext in fright night had to be removed for the remake i kind of call shenanigans on that but also this book was published prior to 2020 so I'm not going to uh, to you know shove him too hard into a locker. But in 2013, John Kenneth Muir says, you know, society's so tolerant that uh, 
a lot of the subtext about race and and sexuality uh, mm-hmm. don't really work in remakes which yeah I which know. i don't know and and that's kind of my thing is i don't totally buy that because i i feel like um a popular uh take in i think horror is that remake bad that like anything that's a remake it, that isn't the original is by definition bad and that's fucking silly because like the thing was a remake the fly was a remake like i think my favorite kind of a remake is the one that uh isn't just a do-over of the original movie because like for example um fright night 2011 is about a different thing than the 80s fright night because like the the mid 80s fright night it was dealing with queer subtext but kind of didn't know what it wanted to say about it because it's like you've got this next door neighbor he's a gay dude who might also want to cuck you i you know like it it doesn't really know what it's trying to say but it's trying to say you know it's important that it try to say something where the remake uh which fucks by the way knows exactly what it's trying to say about like toxic masculinity and cycles of abuse and I don't know. I feel like the the Hills Have Eyes remake to me, um, the, the thing that I don't know if I like it or not is that it takes the subtext of the original because, you know, now the original The Hills Have Eyes, um, this was like a big yop of rage from Wes Craven about like the Vietnam War and America's foreign policy and kind of, you know, uh, dealing with the fallout of, you know, that at home where The Hills Have Eyes remake, um, it has all the subtlety of a sledgehammer to the teeth. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that, and what's weird is, and this is the thing that John Kenneth Muir is like building up to, although mm-hmm. he kind of missteps, is he says remakes are good when they recontextualize the ideas of the original, um, yeah. which is is what this is trying to do. But what's wild is in 2006 when I saw this in the theater, I did not leave and go, thank goodness Alexandra Aha. Uh-huh is, you know, really sticking it to the Bush administration. Yeah. It does not feel like any sort of comment on red state versus blue state, Mm -hmm. war on terror, in the way that all of the critics who like this movie say Mm -hmm. it's such a good thing. Now, reading criticism where Muir says, and, you know, they literally stab a man with an American flag, it's like, (laughs) oh... Okay, yeah, you're right. That does say. I, I, I do kind what of love that. What frustrates me is despite being so, like, having the opening credits in that very 2000s way of mm-hmm. grainy stock footage of sideshow freaks and pickled punks. Right. And, like, you know, nuclear, nuclear test clips. And, like, we're going to talk about how this was a Los Alamos, you know, town type mm-hmm. thing. Um, and trying to like add lore to why the mutants are mutants. Yeah. Um, it, it tries to do anything. But what I found so frustrating about the remake is that it takes every set piece that makes the original great mm-hmm. and does not innovate. It simply does it with more of a budget. Yeah. Well, and it's also, right you know. down to Bob literally gets crucified and set on fire exactly like he does in Craven's original. The yeah. father kills the last mutant in the exact same way as the father does in the original. It is like mm-hmm. almost shot for shot in some cases. Yeah. The same movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the thing is now, so yeah, so that, that, that opening thing, you know, we get uh, 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 the opening crawl that tells us that like the United States conducted uh, atmospheric nuclear tests 
in the desert and the, the, today the government denies that there's genetic fallout from it now and the original i think was also kind of dealing with agent orange in vietnam and the effect on on the vietnamese population um which so th- the original did not have anything about radiation it was just like there's de- there's like tuscan raiders just living out in the desert and that's just what it is um it this really one is yeah. the only thing in the original is it's it's implied that Pluto was a big baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> like his dad in the original says, like, oh, that son, that child would eat like whole chickens when he right. was three. So I just said, fuck off and live in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Now, and now a thing that I will say about Alexander Aha, um, to say nothing about any of his ideas or politics or, or you know, his narrative intent for this, he can shoot a really good horror action scene. He can. He is a um, very talented cinematographer. Um, mm-hmm. The the only thing about that, I'll give you that. I'll just give you that. If he if his shots don't have any original ideas behind them, mm-hmm. it just leaves me feeling kind of meh. Oh I think yeah. The most innovative stuff is like you know the kid looking through the outhouse stall and like literally yeah. looking down at the shit that he just pooped and like the gas station attendant who blows his head off and of course aha's uh-huh like but we're going to show you his actual head being shot off with a right. very you know expensive special effects shot yeah it's it's extreme yeah it's it's very much that so we get uh, an opening thing of dudes in um, hazmat suits with geiger counters sort of fucking around in the desert and then they they get killed and and it's that that's how we open the thing we the 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 credits of the thing i cannot i cannot deal with nuclear footage set to like old timey 50s music because it's just like you're thinking of fallout like fallout has the corner on the market for that kind of a thing i feel like you can't do it now, is this a chicken or an egg situation? Um, I which came first? This movie came out in two two thousand six. We have to remember that in this same period we had the Dawn of the Dead remake with Johnny Cash. This really does feel oh, like yeah. that exact thing, but done less good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's less good. So we get the 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 guy at the gas station who uh he he's just a leathery old fella and he's just like yelling at an unseen force in the desert that he's like, "Ah, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm out." And you know, it's sort of um he's the entire in, uh, interiority of the gas station looks like the fucking museum of death. There's just like, Oh yeah, I've just got newspaper clippings about disappearances tacked to the wall and jars full of weird shit. And this is just his like gas station. It's yeah, a lot. It's, it's yeah. So basically we find out in a departure from the original that the, uh, the gas station attendant who is related to Pluto and the mutants Mm-hmm. is selling out the very few people that come through and sending them to their doom. Now, yeah. here's the thing that uh, strikes me, is that that's a very bad business model. <laughs> yeah, and al- yeah, and also the fact that, like, how is he getting the newspaper clippings for this? Like, is somebody delivering newspapers out here, and why isn't he sending them to get eaten by the mutants? It is such a info dump, very like ham fisted 
ex- exposition because mm-hmm. Bob discovers these in the dark in the middle of the night with a flashlight and he goes aha like that makes everything make sense yeah now let's get into big bob so uh this family um shows up and it is led by a guy called big bob who is played by the guy who played uh buffalo bill in silence of the lambs which i did not realize until halfway through his voice his voice is really down low and he's just kind of talking like this and like the entire time i was like i know he sounds familiar i actually yelled out loud when i realized who he was um and this guy, uh, he's an ex-detective, and he's basically just Archie Bunker. Like, yeah. he's he's just, like, conservative McGun face. He's got a big fucking mustache. He's got, and because, you know, we have to place this oddly in 2006, he's got the giant, like, American flag window hanger on you know, on his, like, like, like camper. <laughs> yeah, God, you couldn't get away from those. Uh, and, you know, you've got this, like, whole big family. You've got his son-in-law, who's a little wiener with a floppy haircut, and uh, Big Bob, uh, his name is Doug, and Big Bob just, like, busts this guy's balls constantly, and he's got... Now, the thing is, I feel like I'm supposed to relate to or like this guy, but he's such a petulant little shit. Yeah, it's, it's funny because uh, the... Son is the relatable character. And I think part of that might have been audience focus testing because you have Doug, who in the original movie was the audience identifying character, mm-hmm. the effete, the you know, liberal arts educated guy who, right. you know, crosses a corner and becomes like a savage survivalist to save his family. Mm-hmm. But in this, he's just a, a literal cell phone salesman whose main role in the first act of the movie is to hold up a phone and go, there's no signal, which might be my favorite trope of early 2000s, where oh, yeah. so many of us crusty jerks made the joke of, why don't you just call with your cell phone? That they literally had to have a decade of movies where characters said, huh, I don't have any cell service here. We're yeah. in that 3% of America without cell service. <laughs> Yeah, and this guy, like, it's, I think the entire idea is meant to be, like, the one thing this guy is able to do with selling cell phones, they are now in a place where cell phones aren't going to do shit, uh, because it's, like, the land that God forgot to hate. Uh, Also, we're talking about 2006, and, you know, as a person who lived part of uh, my life without a phone and then got a phone, Mm -hmm. 2006 was not the point where cell phones fixed everything no i didn't i honestly i don't think i had a cell phone until like 2008 maybe now i will concede that probably about 2000 and uh 10 to 2010 to 2013 Mm -hmm. when uh gps started getting added on phones right then i was like oh thank god i have a phone um i'm no i'm no longer lost in public because I refuse to carry an atlas in my car. Side note here. But that's here. not what this movie's doing with. It's just, I can't call for help. Right. So, side note here. Did you ever um, used to print up directions to places on MapQuest and then look at it while driving? 100% had stacks of MapQuest directions to my favorite locations in other towns. <laughs> and would just keep them handy for when I would hop in the car to go to the record store one town over. I'm I'm astounded that I didn't have more car crashes <laughs> during this time because I definitely did have some car crashes around this time unrelated to ha- like just glancing down at MapQuest. 
Um, it's you know what? It's better now. It's better now with like Waze and Google Maps. Uh, I don't I don't want to go back. Um, <laughs> the one thing that's been improved upon. God damn it! We got that one thing. We got we got rid of laser pointers. Nobody flashes those at shows anymore. And then also we've got. Uh, GPS. The 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 gas station attendant guy. I am into his vibe because um, he's like filling up their gas tank. This family with their big camper, and uh, Big Bob is like, you know, it's illegal to smoke near a gas pump. And the toothless prospector just looks at him, and goes, <laughs> yeah. And it's so <laughs> it's so fucking incredible. Like this is like a big quarantine thing of like this is a man who's not used to people seeing his face in person. He's just uh yeah, hopped up on, on, on desert fumes. It's it's incredible also that the guy that at the top of the movie who was like yelling at the dust devils that he can't keep killing people like this for the for the family anymore, he changes his tune real fucking quick after meeting this family. Yeah. <laughs> Like, and also, I love, um, it's also a very 2006, everything has to be gritty and dirty and gross, mm-hmm. that there is a pig tied to a stake at this gas station. Oh, yeah. And we have a moment of a uh, weak uh, girl says, what a cute little piggy, and pets him. <laughs> Man, it's honestly, now, let's talk about the color grading of this movie. It is unbearably blanched. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, speaking of color grading, have you ever seen the have you ever seen uh, special features of David Lynch talking about color grading? No, what's this? So the uh, out of print Wild at Heart DVD mm-hmm. uh, starring Nicolas Cage uh, has a featurette that's just David Lynch explaining why he made MGM buy new equipment to fix the color grading for DVD and explaining why you can't really tell when you sit and watch it, but I know that it's better, so just (laughs) trust me. (laughs) That's honestly every single time, every time I watch a movie on my iPhone, I can just feel the ghost of David Lynch floating over me going, get real. You will watch a movie on your fucking iPhone. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry, David. I don't want to get out of bed, but I do want to watch this. He's like, just chain smoking going, it looks like, it looked like garbage. It's just trash. So we, I st- we told MGM to buy a new color corrector. <laughs> Man. Also, a uh, side note to the side note here. Did you know that Nicolas Cage did all his own singing in Wild at Heart? That's so good. I'm so imp- he sounds dead on like Elvis. Every really time impressed. I put on my denim jacket, I just think that it's a reflection of my individuality. <laughs> Man, that movie! Oh my god, it's we shouldn't talk about movies we would rather be watching. Is the problem? Uh, so let's talk about that. This really is a movie that I would rather I would rather watch something else. The Faustian Nonsense Network is here to help you produce your best work. We can edit, direct, draft, storyboard, and help your podcast increase its output and connect with the right audience. It doesn't even have to be a podcast. If you have a creative project that you want to monetize and get the most out of, Faustian Nonsense can make it happen. Come join our community and let's build something great together. So I also, as I do with movies that I really hate, I started Mm -hmm. doing research because right. I couldn't figure out why I hated it. I'm the type of person that I can't just settle with, it sucks, let's move on. Oh, yeah. I have to figure out why it is that I hate it. Yeah, you got to do the so postmortem. I've been reading from Harold Schechter's Ripped from the Headlines, which is a true crime encyclopedia where Schechter um, 
talks about the real life crimes that the movie was based on a true story mm-hmm. and he writes about the hills have eyes in this book right and How he does... says that the hills have eyes is the legend of sawney bean oh sawney bean fascinating yeah to me because sawney bean is and he does concede that sawney bean is probably an urban urban legend it has been it's very hard to support it with any kind of historical evidence because it is so outlandish. Well, yeah, like Sonny... really, Sonny Bean... But what's great about Sonny Bean is it becomes this really good um, metaphor for excusing the mistreatment of poor and, you know, the the common folk. So, like, Sonny Bean, for, for our listeners at home who aren't familiar with this is a British story about this Scottish good-for-nothing loaf who runs away and becomes a bandit, but because he's so lazy, he lives in a seaside cave that's covered by the tide most of the time, Mm -hmm. and he and his wife start inbreeding and killing and eating all of the people that they catch. And really good examples of movies that have copied Sawney Bean are The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was along the same time period as the original Hills Have Eyes. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating about Alexandra Aha's remake is it tries to, where the Sawyer family and almost all of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres are just cannibals bad, Mm -hmm. Aha is trying to explain why this family acts the way it does and why they are stealing babies and everything and tries to add some humanity to them by Mm -hmm. also making them morally reprehensible well Um, and that's the and and that's where and that's where i run into problems because like at the end of the thing i feel like alexander aha is trying to make the point of like you see this civilized modern family resorted to savagery in the end and they're really no different and it's like no pretty sure the desert mutants who eat babies are actually in the fucking wrong here alexander yeah sorry no one i'm sorry no one watches texas chainsaw massacre and thinks that the sawyers were right even texas chainsaw massacre 2 Mm-hmm. It's really hard to say, no, Chop Top really uh, had some good points. <laughs> he's he's economically anxious. Let's let's all give... <laughs> he's going to get a New York Times profile. Listen, it's been hard since the slaughterhouse closed down. Um, now, on, on, well, Sonny Bean, uh, also uh, Jack Ketchum, basically did it with Off Season. And honestly, Sonny Bean is a kind of... that. This was the English being, like, racist about the Scottish at the time. Yeah. Because it, at the time, it was just like, oh, yeah, you know, the Scots, they'll, they, they all live in fucking incest caves and they'll, you know, come out and eat your family. And this, you know, was sort of used to justify the continued exploitation of the Scottish. And the other thing that's interesting is so many other films have done Sawney being better, um, especially... If you there's a really interesting reading of Firefly and Serenity where the Reavers are Sawney Bean, Oof. Um, that's really interesting to think about, as well as um, the Peacock family in the X Files. I think is probably the best version of Sawney Bean is really misunderstood and is um, actually even way more scary than this movie. That is genuinely, I think, my my favorite episode of X-Files, where it's just like, this is, like, genuinely blood-chilling. 
like and also the fact that the mom says no put me back under put, the bed i yeah. want to be this way yeah and then she's in the trunk at the end just like well we gotta skip town but i'm definitely you know i'm not going anywhere it's now and the thing is with alexander aha also the way that he the way that he does it in the hills have eyes uh, 2006 is that he going well you know they were abandoned by the rest of society and that's why they've become what they've become like i the thing is at the heart of the original The Hills Have Eyes, and maybe this is because I'm a Wes Craven nut swinger and I just am ride or die for him, I feel like he was trying to make the point of, like, how do we decide which families deserve to live? Yeah, and, and that is a, a really good and prescient thing in 2006 where we're, like, in the middle of the war on terror. Um, it's mm-hmm. just that it doesn't really come across. What I think is more fascinating is even back in the 18th century... Mm-hmm. The Sonny Bean story, the hero is a husband who fights off Sonny Bean, even though his wife dies, and he's the one who, like, gets a posse together. Mm-hmm. So what's fascinating is still in all of these retellings of this civilized versus savage, it's still that semiotic man's man that has to do the saving. Well, yeah. And I'm really frustrated that especially for the director of High Tension, the one thing that could have really done something is Wes Craven already did the effete man. The Mm -hmm. liberal educated father can't save his own family. And instead of just doing the exact same thing, what AHA could have done was had the daughter, not the infant, but the uh, Mm -hmm. middle daughter who is, you know, only really there to be fondled by mutants in both Cravens and the remake, right. actually do something and be the hero. Well, and that's and that's the that thing that would actually have been interesting to subvert, you know, centuries of narrative tradition, uh, but also retell this really fascinating story. Yeah. Um, that's a really good point. And on, yeah, and honestly, like the teenage daughter who, and you know, th- we're going to put a trigger warning on the front of this. She, it's, there's a, there's a rape scene in this movie that goes on for a while. Like it's not now. And, and the thing is, I, I want to give like credit for the fact that it's not super, like the way it's shot is not like male gazy and exploitative and like, isn't this kind of hot? Like it's, it's meant to be brutal, and even for that, it's like, okay, you've accomplished, you know, like two solid on-screen minutes of this brutal, horrible thing. That, I I don't, I get the fuck out of here with that. I don't want to watch but it. But it goes back to, like, Death Wish 2 style. Well, we've got to justify this family murdering right. in, in, in another family entirely. We have to make, Char- we have to make it okay for Charles Bronson to waste hundreds of people. So what's the worst thing we can do? Oh, just rape. So so this is like, okay, they literally exterminate an entire family tree. Mm-hmm. So the only way that we can do the gymnastics to make that okay is a brutal two-minute rape scene. And it's very exactly. like it's very George R. R. Martin bad writing. How mm-hmm. do you make someone evil? Well, you just have them rape a bunch of people. It's it's yeah. very lazy yeah it's it yeah it is fucking gross and i mean like you do get a moment of like the teenage uh daughter who gets to like bury an axe in somebody's head toward the end of the thing almost as like a a, as like a gimme like all right you've been through a lot here kill it you'll feel better kill a mutant um but 
oddly for a genre where we've also like oddly for someone who's watched a lot of rape revenge movies i want to tread carefully but there's Mm -hmm. something different about having a protagonist take the uh take justice back from Mm -hmm. her assaulter than a movie like this where she's still a passive character and it is her brother-in-law who must do the vengeance exactly right well it's, and it's, it's really going back to the charles bronson no we have to make uh bronson with his big old gun be the hero not mm-hmm. anyone who's being hurt literally yeah. everyone that uh bronson is related to is disposable yeah completely and you know and in those later death wish sequels which by the way all of the death wish movies are bad i i, I truly hate every death wish movie but What's incredible is that I like them, but they are reprehensible. Yeah, yeah, they're unforgivable. Um, but like the you know I but I I watch a lot of unforgivable stuff, so you know. But the thing is, what's amazing about those movies is the first one is like, oh no, like my wife got killed, now I have to get vengeance. By like Death Wish Four, it's like my niece's babysitter got killed, and now I need to murder (laughs) three dozen people about it. Because everyone else is dead. He's like, I can't remarry anymore because they keep getting killed. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it, like it's like a Spinal Tap drummer. Like, I just cannot stop <laughs> going through them. Um, now, and that's the thing is, like, you're, you're totally right. Now, so, all right, so what happens is uh, they... Um, the, the gas station guy is like, oh, go down that one path of the desert, you know, ain't I a stinker? And, you know, we get a bunch of, like, sort of... Uh, razors that pop up in the road and shred the car, and so Big Bob goes back to the gas station. The mutants, um, they yeah, they lash him to a thing. They crucify him, and then they light his ass on fire. Uh, and like now, I will I will say, I kind of love that sequence of this guy getting lit on fire because like in a better movie by somebody who had something more to say. It would be like, hey, you know uh, the big swingin' dick family patriarch guy? He's fucked, and so are you. Like, it's not gonna save you. Um, But the problem is that this movie then goes, well, what's really needed is for the effete little wiener to become Big Bob, basically. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, (laughs) it's just a reification of it where it's just like... Uh, well, the, the the only thing that you're going to be able to do now that your family has been like brutalized by mutants and your baby has been captured, you really just need to start cracking heads, and that's the only thing you can do. And it's like, um, now what's incredible is that like the the mutants uh, they steal the baby, and then we've got a walkie-talkie, and Doug is like, "Why are you doing this to us?" And the mutants just like play the sound of his baby crying on the walkie-talkie, which I kind of love as a dick move from the mutants, where it's. Yeah. Yeah. Now and th- and then so, um, I think you're totally right. I think if the teenage daughter had been the one who, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I don't want a movie with big gory fight sequences with mutants. Like th- th- that isn't me saying that that is, um, reinforcing the patriarchy and our you know terrible American identity. But having the having the daughter be the one to fucking shred some mutants would have changed this into something different instead of just. Alan Alda did some crunches, got a gun, and, you know, went to town. Now, I will say this movie does some good stuff with Ruby, but it might also just be the fact that Ruby is a good character through and through. Yeah, so Ruby, of course, is the the daughter of the... uh, Is there a family name for the mutants, or is it just, like, Pluto and the mutants? I'm sure there are. They're just the mutants. 
sense, especially yeah. in this remake. They really don't bother. Besides saying <laughs> nuclear testing bad, that's that's really all you get. Oh, of the New Mexico mutants? Yeah, R- Ruby is um, <laughs> the, the the daughter of the family with her uh, trademark like little red riding hood thing that covers up half of her face because she kind of has like a toxic Avenger style like asymmetrical face. Um, and she is like she's the best of those sons of bitches, you know? Like she's um inquisitive and helpful and like is does not want to eat people's dogs or whatever and actually that's one of the bits that kept upsetting me was the amount of dog violence in this movie like violence to dogs i don't yeah yeah. and it's supposed to be like oh even their tough german shepherds are no match for these mutants but also it just turns into mid-2000s mean-spiritedness it seems like Mm -hmm. it really did feel like the decade where things just had to be mean for the sake of being mean and gritty oh for uh, sure <laughs> like and this is and you know and i know that torture porn is not an actual genre of horror movie but this movie kind of if, if, if any movie kind of flirts with it it's the hills have eyes 2006 where it's just like and don't get me wrong the effects in this are fucking great like it looks like a million bucks like when somebody's got you know gas station attendant uh who's sobbing in an outhouse which mood by the way uh (laughs) blowing blowing his head off with a shotgun it looks like a guy blowing his head off with a shotgun yeah now the question is did we need that does it tell the story could it have done the same thing without it did wes craven do more by having the camera uh, a, a, a head, a hand cam facing upward while Doug is bashing in a mutant skull. Like, does that do more? Absolutely. But oh yeah. This is 2006, and this is a big <laughs> I... budget remake, so you got to show every single thing. <laughs> yeah, actually, and and now that you mention it, that makes me think of the um, the Texas Chainsaw remake from 2003, uh, which for me has the like high score of gratuitous shots where like. You know, and obviously in, you know, the, the OG, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is, of course, number one on our list of now almost 500 movies we've ranked. Um, so much of the is violence in that. One? What's that? Is it still number one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it is. It remains undefeated. It's been, I think, uh, yeah, it's I don't think it's going anywhere. It's a perfect movie. But, <laughs> you know, that movie. And, and again, not to say that a horror movie can't have crazy amounts of gore and like no subtlety. Like, I'm here for that. But it makes me think of how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the original, you know, a lot of the violence was implied. Like, the camera didn't show a chainsaw cutting into somebody, um, except for, like, Leatherface's own leg at the end when it falls. Like, so much of the violence is implied, where in the 2003 remake... The meat hook, which which literally was Toby Hooper going to the MPAA and going, well, you won't let me have this, but will you let me have this? And it's very much the airbud of filmmaking. It's like, well, there's nothing that, that says you can't do this in an R-rated movie, so we're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and in the 2003 remake, you know, you go from that to, like, somebody uh, com- shoots themselves in the head with a gun, and then the camera pulls back through. She pulls a gun out of her vagina in a car, and then shoots herself in the head, and the camera pulls itself back through the hole in her head before it florps over. Um, where it's just like, you know what? Subtlety is right out the fucking door. It's 2003. We're all in a bad mood. We just invaded Iraq and can't deal with that. So here's a here's somebody's uh, gunshot wound in in high def. And you know, to, and so 2006. This is only three years after that. We really were 
going through a mean-spirited fucking period in horror around here, I think. I mean, let's talk about how this is the same time period where every Rob Zombie nutswinger was lauding. And I, I uh, let's be fair, me too, was <laughs> talking about how The Devil's Rejects and The House of a Thousand Corpses was the best thing that happened to horror Oh, Since yeah. the 80s. It's oh, yeah. Like, we're back. It's, it's good now. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, and honestly, like, I have such a, I, you know, I, I talk about Rob Zombie a lot. Like, I, I, I mentioned hey, man, this. everybody dies. Isn't that great? It's like, <laughs> well, that's actually not very good script writing. But, but it's hopeless. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Honestly, though, Rob Zombie is part of this conversation because The Devil's Rejects was kind of in the same conversation, you know, with The Hills Have Eyes remake where it's like, you know, ah, the civilized family is becoming brutal, so it really makes you wonder who the real monsters are. Like, The Devil's Rejects definitely does that with the Firefly family, where it's like, you know, we've got Sheriff Wydell chasing them down and torturing them and being a piece of shit, and it's like, hmm, really makes you wonder who the monster is. Like, still the murdering rapists, Rob! Like, it, it, it did not <laughs> it's stop It's okay, being we're them. gonna play Skinner, and it'll all be fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I do think there's something to be said about the fact that at the very end of the movie... Like, you know, we've watched these horrible people murdering and torturing people, and then when it happens to them from a cop, and they realize, like, oh, we've kind of been like a cop to other people, and that's fucked up, so maybe we deserve to die in a hail of gunfire, that Rob Zombie then completely unravels by making a pointless uh, sequel to Devil's Rejects. Anyway, so... You mean a sequel where his wife wears a war bonnet on the goddamn Blu-ray cover? (laughs) Boy, howdy, Matt. Rob! Rob! You made Lords of Salem. That was a really good movie. (laughs) You can... Halloween 2 is wonderful. Like, how did... Ugh. Ugh. So disappointing. Anyway, so... um, So, uh, Wiener Doug uh, finds the the mutant uh, family out in the desert, and it's in a big, like, sort of uh, pop-up, like, Levitt town, where it's just, like... A nuclear testing town with, like, swing sets that have mannequins on them, and it's just, like, been abandoned by time, but the mutants are living there. Um, and he is poking around looking for his daughter. He gets knocked out. He wakes up in a cooler in a shot stolen straight from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and then, now this is incredible. We get, there's a mutant with an enormous swollen head that's, like, so big, he's, like, flopped over in a chair, and it's just, like, he can't move because his head is so heavy. Um, and he's singing the national anthem because, hey, did you know that this is about the American identity? So <laughs> we need, hey, I don't know if you saw all of the, the American flag shit we've been doing in this, in this goddamn motion picture, but just in case you were wondering, now there is an incredible thing and with that uh, children is how the Iraq war ended. <laughs> Jesus. Now, there George is something. W. That... Bush saw this movie and went, oh no, uh... I'm going to go paint some pictures of dogs now because I can never <laughs> do anything else. <laughs> Thank you for your service, Alexander Aha. Like, what's, what's incredible <laughs> is that the big head mutant, uh, he's singing the national anthem, but he's, you know, dying of radiation poisoning or whatever. And so he's got this really weak, wheezy voice. And right when he gets to and the rocket's red glare, he cannot hit that fucking note. And it's like, you know, you think to yourself at karaoke, I'm going to do Living on a Prayer because that's a fun song and we all love it. And it's going okay at first. You hit that first chorus and you're like, I think I got this. No, you don't, motherfucker. Key change. And as soon as that key change hits, you realize like, oh, no, I'm out of my depth. I can't do this. <laughs> and that was the mutant with the uh, the Star Spangled Banner. And then he literally just drops a fucking info dump about this. Like, he literally just says, like, 
we were abandoned by the country and you people are the reason that we're poisoned by radiation and we're a metaphor in the desert. And he just actually, you know, says the thing and it's like, I don't know, that contrasted with somebody getting, like, we find Big Bob's body and it's got that American flag in the window jabbed into the top of his head, which is kind of neat, I guess. Sure, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just I'm Alexander. So tired, Ryan. I know so it's he, Alexander. Here's the thing that's also frustrating: is we have a director who's proven himself with high tension. Because as mm-hmm. much as I don't like that movie, because the internal logic unravels completely by the end of the film, sure, it works so well because it doesn't bother explaining the logic until mm-hmm. the final act. But it's like this movie, he's like, well, people complained about my logic, so I'll show them. I'll show them all. And this movie is all info dump logic. And, well, you see here, and if there's any fucking thing we've realized, and also if you look at our list and the number one and number two are Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where they show nothing and imply everything, Mm -hmm. and fucking the thing where there's no explanation for why the shape-shifting creature is in Antarctica, Mm -hmm. you don't need information to know why something is scary. Things are, Mm -hmm. by definition, scary because we don't understand them. Well, and this goes back to the 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 reason that uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2007 doesn't fucking work because like I don't want to find out about how sad Michael Myers was as a child because his mom is a stripper. I like mean, we're all still angry about the Star Wars prequels because we don't give a shit why Darth Vader was a sad child. We <laughs> just want him to be a cool dude with a red lightsaber. Yeah, yeah, entirely unnecessary. Now, and also the thing I don't understand about uh, this this thing is so we we, we learn all of this, and then uh, so D- Wiener Doug um, kills one of the big mutants who kind of looks like Jason Voorhees in Part Three of Friday the Thirteenth. And he, so he gets his fingers chopped off, which is fine, but by the end of the movie, we're supposed to think like, wow, Doug has really gone through something, but I don't really give a shit about his emotional journey. Yeah, it's, it's because he has, so it's also the problem that happened with mid-2000 horror, which I used to think was great, uh, Mm -hmm. being a a snotty teenager. Oh, sure. Popular the popular kids die first in these movies and the alty kids thrive. And this movie also positions itself like that because Doug's brother-in-law is that snotty, greasy-haired alty kid who's mm-hmm. wearing a black hooded sweatshirt in the goddamn New Mexico desert. Yeah. Yeah, what are we so doing with this? the fact that he is the audience insert for me and my ilk uh, mm-hmm. makes me automatically think that Doug, the cell phone salesman, you know, he can get fucked. I don't care. Yeah, fuck So the Doug. fact that he's the one that I'm then supposed to care about at the end, he's not been positioned like that. He's just kind of being shoehorned in because, again, that's the original movie. Yeah. And really, the only reason for that is because, well, that's what they did in the original. And as we've already talked about, they could have done something interesting and good and chose not to because mm-hmm. well that didn't follow the script yeah completely like so much of the it's it's like a karaoke cover of the original in that way like i do think this movie does some cool stuff um in terms of like horror beats and and like effects and i think that there's some really effective sequences like 
uh, when the mutants attack the the camper initially, and they they shoot they shoot the mom of the family, and then we get like a drawn out scene of her dying and trying and like talking while dying and like I'm not gonna lie that scene actually made me like sad, like that was a hard part of the movie to watch. Um, it's it's sort of like uh. A level that's like one of the only moments of like vulnerability we get in this movie. Yeah, it's and it's rough. yeah, yeah, it's rough. Now, so uh, what the, the 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 teenage daughter and the the little brother in law um, they lure uh, the the papa of the mutants out to the the camper and then they like bamboozle him because they like turned the gas on, crawled out the top, and then blew it up with him still inside. Um, and then motherfucker is still alive after the fucking trailer explodes. Like what? Because um, because video games, I guess. It's pretty much that logic of like, well, you can't kill Jason, so I guess you can't kill any very large man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we do get a thing with um, so uh, Ruby, uh, the the daughter of the family, who's just a little little sweetheart. Uh, thefts the baby from her desert folk family and like runs off, and so we get one of the the mutants from like one of the nasty mutants from earlier on in the movie, uh, Lizard. Which, by the way, what are these names? Can the, we? It's very first draft. Uh, we gotta call them something. It feels like again Star Wars. How it's like this guy's named Hammerhead because uh, I don't know <laughs> he's, he's got a hammer for a head. And this guy's named Yakface because... Well, I mean, you know, it starts off... It was like, his great-grandfather's name, and it's a family name. <laughs> I, I mean... Big we, we Fortuna, think... because, you know... <laughs> he's, he's, he's wearing his lucky bib. Yeah, he's... <laughs> on, honestly, the, the the mutant family in this, there's, there's kind of a thing where, you know, they start out and like, okay, this guy's name is Pluto. Okay, great, got it. This guy's name is Jupiter. A theme emerges... And then it's like a little kid was tasked with like, and then there's a lizard, big head guy. Uh, and it's just like, it, it loses all like manner of, I don't know. It, it just, it has no idea what to do with itself as like a naming motif. Um, so uh, Ruby fly tackles lizard off of a cliff and prevents him from, from killing this family. And they all uh, embrace in the middle of the desert and the nuclear family complete with like, uh, complete with German Shepherd because they had two German Shepherds and one of them lives and they all hug where it's like ah me and my wife and my baby survived these horrible mutants and then we get a little cutaway stinger of like it zooms way out and we realize that somebody's watching them through binoculars which implies that there's like more desert folk which we get in the sequel which oof uh, boy howdy why? that 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 I think that's one of the worst movies I've ever seen is The Hills Have Eyes 2 from like Which a is great years later. because the original Hills has Hills Have Eyes too is also maligned as like mm-hmm. gratuitous and unnecessary. Yeah, it's shit. I mean, like the second one, sort of the 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 sequel to this remake goes all in on the rape scene as like, mm, what if now I like what you've done with the gratuitous violence and cruelty and mean spiritedness, but I feel that this part we can get more out of and make longer and more excruciating, and then it's just that for like the runtime of the movie. It's it's so great that um, I, I hate this film genre so much, and yet we're still doing this. And also, mm-hmm. but when it's good, it's very good. Yeah. Now, actually, the thing is, I'm I'm not gonna say that I don't like uh, mean spirited horror movies because some mean spirited horror movies I'm a big fan of, like Wishmaster. Oh, your next is a hoot. 
oh, your next is great. Like that's, I thought I hated that. Like when I wa- when I watched your next for the first time, I thought I hated it until the twist, and then I was giggling and clapping like a child. Also, the fact that I believe it is Ty West plays a director in that movie. Oh, he gets plugged with an arrow like immediately. Like, yeah, it's it's very like knowing. Uh, I believe it's it's either Ty West or Joe Swanberg, if memory serves. It says what you should be doing is directing commercials. That's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, I so yeah so you know we get to the the end of the thing and it's the the family survives, but oh no, not really. Um, the, there are I, there are things about this movie I like. I like that. Any movie from 2006, because I feel like it wasn't until maybe the early 2010s that a lot of mainstream Hollywood movies were like, hey, what about all those crimes we done did in Iraq and Afghanistan? Maybe we should contend with that. Like, this is three years after the invasion of Iraq, and I feel like, you know what? Maybe during that time period, you couldn't afford to be subtle. You had to stab the patriarch of this family in the head with an American flag. Um, I, I guess I can appreciate it on that level, but... The the movie doesn't really work because you don't actually care about any of these characters, really. No, it's it's still doing what a lot of movies from this era did, which is just let's sell a ticket to watch a bunch of people be maimed. Um, yeah. Which was, I feel like that's a holdover from the 90s slasher boom, was mm-hmm. the, these are all disposable characters in easy archetypes. Oh, yeah. And it was only in the teens, the the mid to late teens, that I think we started actually caring about our protagonists again. Yeah, agree. And I think, um, I don't know, like, I don't hate a movie from this period that is just like, we're going to run these people through a meat grinder on screen. But, like, my thing is, if you're going to do that, it either has to be a fun romp or it has to engage seriously with its own subject matter. This this is a not this is not a movie that's having a good time and it's also not saying like saying anything really about any of the themes it's playing around with. And maybe I don't know, like Alexander Aha, I I don't I, don't, I mean he didn't write the script or anything, but I'm like maybe he he's not American, so maybe he was like trying to make some kind of comment like I don't know, if you're not Paul Verhoeven, I think you got to like you got to try something else. So, let's talk about where to put this movie. Now, I want to point out that number 489 on our list is Luna de Miel, which is the closest to actual torture porn we have on the list. God, that, I hate that movie so much. Um, I, you know what? I think this is better than Luna de Miel because it at least has sequences I like. I like the big Bob gets flambéed scene. I... I've got the image of a toothless man sobbing in an outhouse, like burned into my brain now as like it my last good my last brain cell. Yeah, now, yeah, it, yeah. Agree. If we scroll way up, mm-hmm. at number two hundred and forty-eight, we have X Files season four, episode two, Home with the Peacock Family. Oh, over my dead body, we're putting this above uh, season four, episode two, Home from the X Files, which is also right next to Ravenous, which is again cannibals done right. Yeah. Oh, Ravenous is a fucking hoot. I love Ravenous so much. Um, that movie's great. Now, uh, scrolling down a little bit, I think... Okay, I think I have a place to start. At number 272, we have High Tension by Alexander Aha, And I think we can both agree High Tension is a better movie than this. 
Now, here's the problem with this. If we <laughs> okay. put it below high tension, we're also putting it... Um, we're saying House of Wax with Paris Hilton is a better film. Oh, I think it's a better film. I definitely <laughs> think it's a better film. Oh, man. No, House of Wax is so much fun. Like, not that a horror movie has to be fun as an arbiter of it being good, but that is a movie that knows what side of the bread its butter is on in a way I really respect. Yeah, it is not posturing at all. No, no it has no it has no uh, underlying themes it wants to, you know, try to shoehorn into the thing. Like, it's just absolutely the thing that it is. Now, um, number 277 is House of a Thousand Corpses. And here, I'm going to say, I'm going to put this above House of a Thousand Corpses because, I mean, and I've seen House of a Thousand Corpses a million fucking times and we'll see it a million more. That movie is literally just, like, a haunted house that you get pushed through and then you pop out the other side. Like, there's nothing else going on there aside from just, like, hey, it's Rob Zombie's first movie. I really love the 1970s. I've decided to just make this literally Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, but also it's got more clowns. I'm Rob Zombie. Like, there's, Dr. there's... Satan! <laughs> do, 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 <laughs> Dr. Satan! Like, it's just... That's all it has going on. Um, His, the man's name is Dr. Satan. He went to <laughs> medical school. <laughs> <laughs> He's not med student Satan. Excuse, Please, my father is Mr. Satan. Call me Dr. He's not, Satan. He's not PA doctor. He's not Mr. Satan physician's assistant. <laughs> He's Dr. Satan. Holy shit. Now, actually, so right uh, above that is Pool Party Massacre. I think this is better than that, but I don't think it's better than The Hunger at number 275, no, which it, is it really gay. Isn't. The Hunger is gay and has vampires, and the start of it is literally uh, Bella Lugosi's dead by Bauhaus. <laughs> I'm giving it to Hunger. Like, The Hunger is a, a, is a good movie. Well... I don't know if it's a good movie, but I love it very much. That also uh, puts it below Blackenstein, and mm -hmm. I'm good with that. Oh, yeah. Definitely Blackenstein is above this. So, yeah. So, I feel good about that. So, coming in uh, at our new number 276, above Pool Party Massacre and below The Hunger, is The Hills Have Eyes from 2006. Uh Quincy, I want to apologize for putting you through this and suggesting this is a no, movie. No, it's okay, because I, I got a lot of introspection. Um, I just, you know, have thought about so many other movies that I would rather watch yeah. than this one again. Oh, definitely. It's, yeah, but, it, you know, it is kind of good to go back and look at a thing and go, because I remember being much higher on this movie than I, than I was, where I was kind of like, you know, the last time I saw it, I was like, oh, man, it's really saying something about... America's brutality, and then I watched it this time and was like, "Oh, it didn't actually say anything." I thought it was. Well, gonna. here's the other thing: is like, I, I keep trying to watch old TV shows. Like, mm -hmm. I, I went through a stage of trying to understand SCTV. Oh yeah, and I finally settled on TV in the '80s just wasn't funny, and that's <laughs> that by comparison is very funny. But, yeah. like, watching SCTV, but also in a world where we have the same cast doing Shit's Creek, it's like, okay, they have refined the techniques and have created something a lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, we didn't have Shit's Creek in the 80s. And uh, also, I kind of want to imagine a dream where John Candy could have been in Shit's Creek. Uh, yeah. Yeah, completely. Now, that's that's what it is. It's like, it eventually got to be this because of the previous material, but that doesn't mean you need to go back and, you know, watch, you know, the thing itself. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> God damn. All right. Quincy, where uh, where can our listeners find us on the internet? We're on a plethora of social media platforms. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Twitter. It's either Rank and Vile or Rank and Vile Cast. Um, if you have Rank and Vile on um, Twitter, uh, let go of it. Uh, we and <laughs> our buddies, Rank and Vile, the Grimecore Band, both want it. Uh, so give it to one of us. I don't care who. You can decide because we're both cool dudes. But uh, you don't need it. <laughs> we also we support the band Rank and Vile. They're really good. But we will chop that baby in half like King Solomon trying to solve the problem of the two. <laughs> we could be Rank at, and they can be and Vile. And yeah, that'll that'll be. I fun. think I think honestly it has gone down to which of us uses the ampersand on which platform. If you <laughs> yeah, look yeah. us up on. Spotify, if you use the ampersand, it's one of us. And if you use and, it's the other. And I cannot tell you which one it is. Oh, no, no one knows. Like, the, I, 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 I always want to use the ampersand, and then I try looking it up, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck? I'm, I'm nowhere. Um, but yeah, guys, if you... Uh, th- thank you for listening. If you uh, have any requests or any movies that you might like us to do, either for the Patreon or for our main show, you're going to want to send that to rankandvilecast at gmail.com or put it in our uh, ask box on Tumblr. Um, and and be, merch, uh, Ryan, what's the URL for merch? So for uh, our amazing merch that we have now, uh, you're going to want to go to FaustianNonsense.com. That's F-A-U-S-T-I-A-N, Nonsense.com, uh, where you can get uh, a bunch of mugs and stickers and shirts, just really an embarrassment of uh, stuff you can have. Um, so definitely check that out. We also still have tons of our Cobra clutch designed um reflective stickers if you want to shoot us a uh, dm on instagram uh or twitter uh just let us know what your address is and we'll just send you one because the postal service needs postage and we're at the point where we just want to help help the postal service y'all we got so many fucking stickers you really wouldn't believe (laughs) it's yeah it's a lot uh but anyway that is uh that is about all i got you got anything else Stay spooky. Later, folks.